last few weeks, we have been talking about evangelism, the call to love others and to serve others in the name of Jesus Christ. And as I've talked to some of you, you've found that that has been difficult. <laughs> it's difficult. It's incredibly difficult to love as Jesus Christ would love. And this is the last week that we're going to be talking about this. Next, uh, next week, we're going to be jumping into our uh, series for Easter, kind of leading up to the cross. And so this is our, our last time to look at this. And I hope, hope this is encouraging. Today, we're looking at the fear of man and the fear of God. Because if there's one obstacle that keeps us from loving people and uh, speaking openly about the name of Jesus and the gospel and serving people, it is the fear of man. So we're talking about the fear of man today. Now, what is the fear of man? The fear of man is, is the Bible's way of saying um, what we might call people-pleasing, um, trying to gain the acceptance of people, uh, catering to people's wants and desires as opposed to living to, to honor and glorify and obey God. And whenever evangelism is talked about, usually talk about fear of man is, is not far behind. That scripture recognizes this is something that, that we all struggle with. That it's hard to love people when we are trying to serve them or when we fear them. Um, and so... In that, we're going to hear Jesus' words about the fear of man today. Last week, we talked about how Jesus was charging uh, his people to, to go into the harvest field. And Jesus then gives kind of this, this rallying speech to his first apostles as they go out and go into the mission. And so we're going to see his words to them about the fear of man and the fear of God. We're going to see a couple of things. First of all, we're going to see the reality of the fear of man. That there's reason to be afraid. That it's not um, totally... Uh, that there's real reason for it. It's not just something that's psychological in our head. That the fear of man is, is well-founded. And yet, in, in spite of that, Jesus tells us to look to the fear of God. That we should fear God instead as our great judge. We should fear God instead as our great father. And we should fear God as our great savior. So let's look at Matthew 10. Matthew 10 verses 24 through 33. That we may see the fear of God and the fear of man. We may love as Jesus loved by fearing God alone. Again, that's Matthew 10 verses 24 through 33. These are the words of Jesus himself. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them. For nothing, nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the rooftops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. 
Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we praise you this morning. We praise you as the one who alone is worthy of our fear and of our worship, of our awe and of our reverence. And so, Father, would you instruct us? Would you use me as a vessel of communicating your word? Would you give me the words that are, that are needed? And Father, would you prepare the hearts of, of all of us that we may hear your word, apply it to our lives, and so glorify you more? Father, would these things not fall on deaf ears? But may we hear them and do them and glorify you in them. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, first thing we need to understand is the reality of the fear of man. There is actually something in this. There are legitimate fears when it comes to reaching out and just loving and serving and evangelizing people. Now, I think we deny this fact because we tend to treat it as if if we just manage things correctly, if we say the right things at the right times to the right people, then maybe we can kind of skate through and everyone will just receive us with open arms. That everyone will love us and everyone will enjoy all the things we have to say. They will see us as these great loving Christians and, and come flocking to Christ. I think that's the kind of evangelism that we are sold, the kind of love and service that we're sold. But we need to hear the words of Jesus himself. Jesus himself, who is our, our example, who we are following in his great love, in his great service, in his great sacrifice for other people. And what does he say in verse 24? A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master, it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So this is Jesus, the, the master of love, love himself incarnate, our teacher in how we are to love, saying these words. And it's, it's kind of universally accepted that Jesus, Jesus loved well. That every religion has to do something with Jesus. And they, they tend to admit that, no, he, he was one who loved well and loved sacrificially. And so we want to learn, okay, how did he do it? And, and what were the trials that he himself faced? And we have to admit that, that for his love and for his self-sacrifices, he was hated. He was despised. He was slandered. He was called Beelzebul. That means, means Lord of the flies, Lord of the dung. That's the derogatory name for Satan himself. That Jesus, this, this master of loving people, was called Satan. And he was called Satan because he was casting out demons, um, healing the blind, giving uh, the ability to walk to people who are paralyzed. 
He was feeding the, the hungry and raising the dead. That's what Jesus was doing. And they were calling him Satan for it. He was doing amazing, wonderful, miraculous, undeniably great and, and loving things. All right, so then we come along, we think, well, you know, if I just love really well, maybe I can strike the balance. Maybe if I do it right, people won't hate me. People won't uh, malign me. They won't slander me. They'll just think I'm great. All right, I'm here to, to burst that bubble today. That if we're going to love as Jesus loved, we're going to be treated as Jesus was treated. That we are going to be maligned. We are going to be hated they were going to be rejected. Now, the simple analogy, let's just take the goofiest and most mundane of ways of loving people. Let's say you've made someone, uh, let's say your co-workers, your friends, a batch of cookies. And you're bringing your cookie to them and putting them before you. And here, a gift of cookies freely made by you. What can people do with that? We're amazed at how people can receive that. And they can twist it, like, oh, you know, I think she's, she's really making these cookies just, just to get attention. She just wants us to all think that she's great. Or there's the people who are like, well, I'm gluten-free, and she didn't make gluten-free cookies. And so really this is just a spiteful attack at me that she would, she would make these cookies and just tempt me. Or there's the other people who are on a diet, and they're like, well, she's just trying to make me fat. She's trying to ruin my life with these cookies. Or you have the, the ungrateful people who are looking at them like, I like, I like chocolate chip cookies. I don't, I don't want peanut butter cookies. Why didn't they make the cookies that, that I wanted? Now, we can turn these things around. And this is the most mundane, innocuous of ways of serving someone. And yet, it can be used against us. That's just the reality of how people receive things. Um, and that's for cookies, which everyone loves. How are we called to love people as Christ would love them? We think of disciplining our kids, which they don't enjoy. We think of the call to, to tell people when they're making mistakes that are going to destroy them. We think of uh, being honest with our spouse about their sin. And, and pointing it out and, and saying, no, this is, this is really what it looks like. Or when we're called to, to identify sin as sin. Or point people to the fact that they are, they are dying and need a savior. That's what real love looks like. And that kind of love, if cookies can't make it past that, then, then surely this kind of love is not going to be received well. And so we have to be, be prepared for that. That oftentimes we can't have it both ways. We can't please people and love them at the same time. We cannot please people and love them at the same time. And so we have to, we have to ask ourselves and count the costs. Are we really willing to love as Jesus would love? I think oftentimes we try to strike the balance. And we start loving people until they're no longer pleased. And they don't like what we have to say. And that's when our culture would say, well, no, you're supposed to back off. You're supposed to back off at that point. That, that let them do them. 
let you do you. Um, and at that point, we're just supposed to say, well, oh, they'll, they'll have to learn it for themselves. I'm not, I'm not called to, to show them something they don't want to see. Maybe they need to hit rock bottom before they can see this. Or maybe we Christianize it and say, oh, it, I'm just not called to, to love them like that yet. I'll start loving them by, by actions and not by words. Or all of these things which I think if we're honest with ourselves, we're giving into fear. That it is fear that is driving us not love. That we are called to love people past these points. That Jesus himself, he kept loving people until they didn't want to hear it anymore. They didn't want to have it anymore until they are ready to kill him. And yet he kept giving them the truth. He kept showing them what they truly needed salvation. He showed them their sin. So that, that's one side of the coin. We can love people and they can hate us for it. But then there's maybe uh, the other side, which is maybe a little bit more likely. Maybe we can just love people and the people who watch us do it will hate us for it. That's what happened with Jesus most of the time. That he was, he was healing this guy and that guy was, was happy to be healed. But there's going to be spectators. The Pharisees, they're watching and they don't like it. Now, we can speculate as to why they don't like it. Maybe they, they're convicted by the fact that, that they're not as caring and as loving. Maybe they're, they're jealous of the fact that, that Jesus had such power. Maybe they just uh, coveted his popularity. They, they wanted to be righteous as he was righteous, knowing that they were not. But not only is it going to be a struggle to love people themselves, but we do it with an audience. And people who watch us love like that oftentimes will not like it. Especially in our culture, you're supposed to keep all that stuff private. You're not supposed to share. You're not supposed to step out. And so when we break those rules, they will make us pay for it. This passage is a, is a guarantee that, that that will happen. That if we're truly loving as Christ would love, we are going to uh, have to deal with the fear of man. That they can criticize us and hate us, malign us, uh, in many parts of the world, throw us into prison. And so we need, we need a way to get around the fear of man, to push past it. That if we're going to love as Christ loved, we need something greater than the fear of man to drive us. Because we will not be able to, fear, to, to love people as Christ loved. And what is the solution? Uh, the Bible gives us a, a, an odd solution. It points us to the fear of God. The fear of God. That seems like an odd solution. That you fight one fear with another. But that's what scripture tells us. That stop fearing man and instead fear God himself. And so we're going to walk through that in scripture. How we see that we are to fear God as, as judge, as father, and finally as savior. So let's look at how we are to fear God as judge. Verse 26. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed 
or hidden that will not be known. Now, this is a weird, a weird verse. How is that supposed to help us to love people well and not to fear God? Or not to fear man, but instead fear God? I think at this point, um, Jesus is kind of forcing us to zoom out. To look at the big picture and say, who is actually judge here? That yes, people will malign you. People will criticize you. People will insult you. People will accuse you of all sorts of things. But in the end, the real motive will come out. And if you are loving in the name of Christ, you will be publicly vindicated. That everyone will know that, you know what, no, I made those cookies to love people. I made those cookies in the name of Jesus. Not for myself, but, but to honor him. And so we entrust ourselves not to the judgment of people, but to the judgment of God. And we trust that, you know what, people might say all sorts of things, but I want, I'm, when I get to heaven, I want to hear what God says, and he's going to make the right judgment. And he judges according to a different standard. He doesn't just judge according to what will please people. He judges by what is actually loving and actually right. A real standard, not just the whims of people. And so that's where the only way we're actually going to love people well is if we submit ourselves to that standard. To the standard of God himself and he guides us in how to love. We should have freedom to then love knowing that we have a, a just judge who will receive us well if we love in his name. That's why we see verse 27. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Now, if we did that literally, that would, that would be amazing. That he, he whispers to us salvation and we, we proclaim it on the rooftops. That's boldness. That's boldness that recognizes that, you know what, you can, you can hear this message, you can hate this message, but I'm going to proclaim it because I know that it's right and I know that God is going to make it right in the end. That if I can sincerely and, and with love say this, I have nothing to fear. I'm entrusting myself to the true judge who is beyond and above people. And to drive that home, verse 28 and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This is the, the surprising reality that the Bible in this point kind of calls death itself, physical death, kind of small hat compared to the things of God. Yeah, yeah, they can kill you. And that, that itself is a charge to us. We're, we're most likely not going to be killed. And yet we still shy away. And here scripture is saying, you know, yeah, they can kill you even, but it's not going to matter. Because God has your back. If you're actually loving as God would love, then you're going to be fine. They can do nothing to your soul. You are immune. You are immune to death itself. That's how Jesus loves. So he could love until people wanted to kill him. And they did. 
They killed his body, but they could not kill his soul. And when he rose from the dead, he rose victorious and triumphant, declaring to the whole world that, no, I was innocent. That all the things you accused me of, um, well, namely that I'm God, you were right, but it was true that I am God. And I was right and I was innocent. And so we, we don't need to cater to the judgment of people. We don't need to perform for them. We don't need to put on a show. We entrust ourselves to the true God. Whether they understand our motives or not, whether they receive us or not, we can freely speak the things of God. We can shout them from the rooftops. All right. So that's the, the fear of God as judge. Next up, we see the fear of God as father. The fear of God as father. That seems like a weird analogy, but fear here has, has a broader spectrum than we tend to think about it in English. That fear entails awe and, um, and honor and a desire to please, to serve and to, to worship even. And that's where we seek to honor and worship God as Father. Now, how does that help us with the fear of man and the call to love? Well, let's look at, look at verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Essentially, okay, there's these worthless birds. These worthless little birds. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. He points people to... The sovereign care of God. That God cares for these worthless little birds. And he makes sure that they, they do not fall unless it's their appointed time. That they, they cannot die until God ordains it. That he sovereignly cares for them. And these little birds. And then verse 30. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Hairs of your head are numbered. This is the sovereign care of God. That we entrust ourselves to God the Father because He's actually in control. He actually knows everything. Therefore, He can be judge because He can judge rightly. And He can love because He has the power to care and love for His people. And I think it's, it's more than just kind of uh, I was going to say bald omniscience, but that's, that's stupid. Um, <laughs> you got it. <laughs> um, this isn't just that the fact that he knows everything. So, yeah, he knows how many uh, leaves are on every tree. No, there's a personal aspect to this. That God, as our Father, he knows every hair. Just like you probably know a bunch of weird little facts about your spouse or about your best friend. That you know their favorite ice cream and their coffee order. Um, those little quirks that they do. The weird ways they pronounce certain words. All that stuff. That's evidence that you have this intimate, loving relationship with the person. And we know those things. And I think this verse is pointing to the fact that, that he knows those things about us because he cares for us. He cares for us. He loves us. He like is attentive to every detail. That is the great love of our Father. 
And that's where we're, we're so silly in that we spend our days trying to to earn the, the love and acceptance of people who don't really care. Of people who don't really care about us. That oftentimes we, we paint this picture on the outside so that the random people in the grocery store think we're okay. Or so that we can drive by a random group of strangers and feel, feel comfortable. That we're oftentimes kind of playing to this audience that doesn't even realize we're, we're performing for them. But God, God sees and God cares and he knows. If we're going to perform for anyone, we perform for him. We seek his love. We seek to please him because he actually loves us. He actually loves us. Therefore, see verse 31. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Stop fearing people. Fear the one who actually cares about you and loves you and, and wants a relationship with you. Seek his approval. Seek his pleasure. All right. So, we escape from the fear of man and are able to love as Jesus would love if we live in the midst of our, our fear for God as our judge, that he will vindicate us, and we fear God our Father, that he will love and care for us. But there's a problem. There's a problem. We're being very presumptuous so far. Very presumptuous. Because when you appear before God the judge, are you going to have anything that he's going to vindicate you with? Is he going to be so pleased and say, oh, you, you just did a great job loving people. I looked into your heart and all of your motives were perfectly clean. Well done. No, he's not going to say that. And when he, we show up as, hey, it's your children, it's on your back, he's going to look at us and say, well, how are you, my child? I see the, the hatred and the, the evil that is in your heart. You are more so a child of Satan than you are a child of me. If we come to him thinking that like, oh yeah, we're going to bring him this great performance, then we fooled ourselves. We fooled ourselves. And that's where we have to have the last element, which is the fear of God as Savior. That God is not going to be our, our vindicating judge. He is not going to be our loving Father unless we come to him through Christ. And that's where we see verse 32. So everyone who acknowledges me, Jesus, before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men... I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is where the only thing that makes it all hold together is Jesus Christ himself. It's Jesus Christ himself. Without Jesus, we will be destroyed by the fear of God. That we will fear his wrath and we will fear his vengeance. That we are on the wrong side of the team. That we in our sin, in our evil, in our selfishness, we don't love God. And we don't love people. We love ourselves. We love ourselves. 
And that's where we can't love as Jesus loved until we receive the love that he had for us. That we remember that love that, that people didn't really want. And that love that's convicting and that love that tells us that we are sinners in need of a savior. We have to receive that love before we can fear God. We have to receive that love before we can escape from the fear of man. That Jesus came and he was, he was hated and he was despised. And he was hated and despised because we sinners didn't want his love. We didn't want to hear the message. And so we called him Satan and we stuck him on the cross. I think we, we want to distance ourselves from that and say like, well, no, I didn't do that. No, that is our heart. Our heart is to do that to God. That we don't like seeing our sin. We don't like seeing uh, the hatred that is in it. And so Jesus was, was put on the cross and called Satan. And he did it for love. He did it because he loved us. That was his act of love that he sacrificed. He took all the judgment of that judgment God. He took all the wrath on the cross. And he gave us his, his sonship, his perfect obedience. He gave that to us. And that changes everything. The cross changes everything. And so, when you get to heaven, and you stand before his judgment throne, you will be vindicated. That he will ask, well, what's been the motive of your heart towards people? And you'll be able to say, it was actually perfect the whole time. Because Jesus' heart was perfect the whole time. And he'll say, well, have you, have you lived good enough to be my son? To be perfect in my sight? And we'll say, yes. Yes, through Jesus. That Jesus lived perfectly and, and I have his record. He gave that to me. He died on the cross. I don't need to be strung up on that cross. Jesus already did it. That's the only way we can have the fear of God and not be destroyed by it. That we can care about God's approval and seek his approval and, and say, well, and I already have it. This is where the two, two things come together and we can live under the fear of God but not be destroyed. Now, what is our, what is our calling after that point? Our calling after the point is to worship. To worship. That we know this God who saves, we know this God who loves, who sacrifices, who took away our sins, who rose from the dead to vindicate us, and now we worship. That worship, that love for our Savior, that is going to save us from the fear of men. That we are so lost in our worship of God that we don't care about what people think about us. We don't care. Uh, we aren't all consumed with ourselves and how we appear, what people say, what people do. We're wrapped up in Jesus. That we love him and we want to acknowledge him. Tell people about him. Glorify him. Suddenly everything else starts to pass away and we just get solely focused on Jesus and his great love for us. So what am I encouraging you to do? I'm encouraging you to, to be bold. To be bold for the gospel. 
to entrust yourself to this God, this God of grace and this God of mercy, and this God who, who will judge rightly and who will love well. Tell people the truth about what you think. When people say what, what they think, say what you think. Say what Christ thinks. Will they like it? Maybe, maybe not. But you will be acknowledging him before men and, and glorifying his name. When, when you get a chance to talk about Jesus, talk about him. When people ask you what you did for your weekend, t tell them about Jesus. That you hung out with Jesus. You're allowed to do that. Will people like it? Maybe not. Maybe you upset the norms. Maybe you will actually experience the fear of man. But you will be entrusting yourself to the fear of God. And to a righteous and holy and gracious God who has already saved you.